0: we have um, friendly people passing out note cards, and I want to invite you to write on those note cards this morning these two things that you see on your screen. So we're going to start with some crowdsourcing for the message this morning. The first one is name one characteristic of prayer. So you can fill in the blank. Prayer is? What is prayer? Write down one characteristic. You can do this with friends if you want to uh, you know, co-create. That's fine. And number two, name one benefit that you have experienced from prayer. I'm a, I feel like I'm a little echoey, Jen, maybe. I don't know. We'll just, we'll keep working on that. Um, so go, yeah, write those down. And then when you're, as soon as you're done, pass them to the aisles to those friendly faces who will pick them up, and they'll bring them up to me, and we'll read some and see what we come up with. All right, let me read some. Prayer is connecting. Prayer is stressful. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, prayer is grateful. Prayer is intimate, personal, non-linear. Prayer is talking to God. All right. Prayer is tuning into God's spirit. Prayer is reflection. Prayer is foundational. Ooh, the philosophical answer. Love it. Prayer is calming. Oh, another one, calming. Prayer is communication. Prayer is meditative. Another one, prayer is meditative. All right. Prayer is connecting to God. Very good, I love these. Connecting another one. All right. Okay, let's go with number two now. Benefits. What how how have we benefited from prayer? Uh, calmness. Uh, a sense of connection to God. Peace from God. Uh, acceptance. Contentment. Peace. Peace. Peace, humility, and calm. Wow, bonus work. Three stars. Um, I feel like I can face what is ahead. Profound. Gratitude. Feeling calm. Another one, calm. Okayness. <laughs> I love it. A sense of okayness. I love it. Yeah. Uh, answers to life's problems. Reassurance. Belief, acceptance, and peace. All right. If I didn't get to yours, I'm sorry. But these are great. Okay. So um, I did not know for certain if we would come up with this, but I did title my talk, Peace Through Prayer. Um, And so, well done everybody. It was like a magic show where the, yeah. (laughs) My job is to get you to guess a thing I've already prepared. And you did. Voila! Um, Yeah, so we have been in a teaching series on seeking God's peace, and today we're going to talk about peace through prayer. One of, certainly, one of the many, many benefits that I've received, and apparently many of us have received through prayer. Um, We're going to read, though, a story that has uh, a number of tensions related to peace. It comes from uh, the final week of Jesus' life, He is with some friends, and he is praying. And we're going to look at this story. It comes from chapter 14 in the book of Mark. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved Even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough! The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Whew. Okay. The first detail of our story sets the scene. They go to a place called Gethsemane, and it is a garden. It's a park much like we might experience a state park or a natural, uh, or sorry excuse me, a national park, right? A place of natural beauty that is, seems to be one of Jesus' favorite places to go. So he goes there a couple different times in the stories as we read them in the New Testament. Uh, the Bible interpreters, many, many Bible interpreters, by the way, point out that this makes a tidy bookend with the Garden of Eden that opens the Bible, and here we have Jesus at his climactic moment of his life back in a garden, praying. In this moment, Jesus anticipates what is to come and is not good. He's going to face his suffering, his arrest, his crucifixion, his death. And he is understandably very, very distressed by it. In fact, we get a lot of emotional emotion-laden phrases that Mark gives us in the writing, okay? So we hear it is on the screen. Jesus is distressed and agitated. He tells his disciples, "I am deeply grieved even to death." And he throws himself on the ground. This is not the calm and composed Jesus, the Jesus walking on water, the Jesus who's all in control. This is Jesus in a pretty messed up state, on the ground, like fetal position, on the ground telling God, I don't want this. Take it away from me. It's a pretty intense image, isn't it, of Jesus? Very raw, very human. That phrase, even to death, it makes me think of the book of Jonah, where Jonah tells God, I'm angry enough to die. (laughs) And it's kind of funny when Jonah says that um, in that, that particular story. But here, Jesus is grieved. I am deeply grieved, even to death. So in this very, very agitated state, we get this prayer from Jesus where he says, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So I want to just examine the prayer, okay, and just take it apart a little bit. All right, and there's four simple parts to this. We've got the address where Jesus says, Abba, Father. So this shows us one of Jesus' go-to images for God, and it's Father. It is the word Abba that he uses. Now, we take this for granted because we, many of us, grew up in the Christian tradition, or if we haven't, we've been around maybe enough to get that Father is a very, very common image that we use for God. We have the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches our Father or the Our Father Prayer in some traditions, our Father who art in heaven, et cetera. So we're used to this. But at the time, Jesus is teaching his disciples at a very accessible image for God, saying we can pray to God as though God is a Father. And he he adds this Aramaic word, Abba. Aramaic was Jesus' first language. It's what he grew up speaking in his household. So he used Aramaic, probably spoke Aramaic most of all. And he's teaching this household, his home language word for God, Abba. It's an intimate word. It might mean something more like dad or even daddy. Has a sense of respect to it, like dad or father does, but it's very intimate. So Jesus is calling God, dad, dad. The second part, the character of God, where Jesus tells God, for you all things are possible. Now, this is kind of a peculiar aspect of prayer uh, that has been uh, used in many, many traditions. It's used in the Psalms. It's used in our songs today when we sing to God, where we tell God what God is like. God doesn't really need reminding (laughs) of what God is like, yes? So what does it do? It does something in us, right? As we rehearse and remember and call out to God what God is like, it gives us a sense of connection to that God. So Jesus is calling forth this characteristic of God. For you, God, all things are possible. That opens up worlds when Jesus says that. We go to number three, part three, the request. Remove this cup from me, Jesus says. Very simple request. In the Bible, the word cup is frequently used as a symbol And it can mean both good or bad things. So the cup is just what is coming to a person. That could be the blessings that a person anticipates receiving, or it could be the disasters that a person may be facing. And in this case, Jesus has a sense of impending doom and disaster. And he's asking God very simply, I don't want it. Take this cup away from me. Take away the disaster that I'm about to face. I don't want it. It's a rather bold confession, a rather bold moment from Jesus, telling God, I don't want this. And part four, finally. I'm calling it commitment. Um, Maybe it's that sense of okayness, something there, where Jesus says this, yet not what I want, But what you want. So somehow Jesus arrives at a place of committing himself to whatever God has for him. Now, before I go on, I want to acknowledge that there are lots and lots of ways to make meaning and significance out of Jesus' suffering and death. Okay, and the word we use in the Christian tradition for that is atonement. And there are lots of different atonement theologies or theories. And how we interpret this prayer and all these events, they fit into it like a puzzle of how you might read that. And so we're not going to dive into those theories of atonement, but I just want to mention that because there are lots of different ways to make meaning of Jesus' suffering and death. And this prayer fits into that. Okay, now back to the story. We've broken it down into the component parts, but let's not miss the whole, which is that Very distressed, agitated Jesus on the ground, praying, Dad, help. I don't want this. Meanwhile, the disciples (laughs) are sleeping. We can forgive them. It's night, they're in a garden. Uh, remember, it's, it's Passover, right before Passover, so it's going to be a full moon, so they can, they can see everything if it's a clear night in this beautiful park, garden, state park. The disciples are with Jesus in this garden. He's brought them there. Um, I, I should say it's 11 of the 12 original disciples. There's one, Judas, who at this moment is plotting to have Jesus arrested. He's betraying Jesus in this moment. So 11 are remaining, and then Jesus brings with him three deeper into the garden area. So Peter, James, and John come with him. And the staging of this is kind of interesting, right? So they all go together to the garden. Eight of them are kind of over yonder. Three of them are kind of near him or near-ish. And then he's a little bit ways over here. And I have this sense, like as we picture this, we almost need a a director, right, of a play to kind of map this out for us. But it feels like we can see in the staging the tension of whether or not Jesus wants other people with him or not. Or the sense of what would even be helpful or appropriate for the disciples to witness in this moment. Um, I don't know if you can relate to this, but maybe you've had those moments where you're just in a very, very Raw emotional state, and you're not sure if you want other people with you or not. I've certainly had those moments. Um, Like, people can be very, very comforting, but if I'm like really, really raw, like, I don't want anyone to see that. (laughs) Like, that's just me, you know? I need to be in the basement doing push ups until I collapse, you know, or whatever. Um, Yeah, there you go. That's my image of what I do when I'm stressed. You know, and so, but that tension, right, of Jesus with his disciples, does he want them with him? Does he not? I don't know if you remember, um, like, when the the pandemic shutdown was just starting to happen, so I don't know if it's too early to talk about that, (laughs) but like two years ago, I was thinking about this, like, there were some very, very intense emotions there when we didn't know quite what was happening. Early in the shutdown, schools are shut down, work shut down. We don't know what we're doing for church. I felt very agitated and distressed, to use those words from our story. And it was hard to figure out, like, how do I share this emotion? Or with whom is it appropriate or good? How do I pray? With whom do I pray? Um, I, the, the, all those kinds of tensions were present in that moment. I take a lot of comfort when I read this story, because it feels to me like Jesus is experiencing some of those same tensions. He is about to face and is facing very hard things. He's trying to figure out, how do I pray? With whom do I pray? What will be the meaning and significance of this prayer? Okay, here's my question. To what degree does Jesus experience God's peace through this prayer? I don't think it's so straightforward, is it? On the one hand, there's not a lot to feel peaceful about. I mean, Jesus is soon after this going to be arrested. He will be accused and questioned. He will be found guilty of treason, treason by the Roman Empire. He will be beaten and tortured by Roman soldiers, crucified on the cross publicly, and he will die. And knowing that, Jesus prays three times to God, take it away. I don't want it. On the other hand, we have this phrase in the prayer where Jesus says, not what I want, but what you want. And we see Jesus Go forward in the story almost as though he is resolved to face it. And he faces it with a great amount of grace and dignity that is astonishing, remarkable. And so it seems like that is a sign that he took in a measure of God's peace or at least a sense that it could be okay. Something will be okay. It will turn out okay. You know, God does not delight in suffering. God takes no joy in the suffering of human beings. Jesus knows that. He knows that the suffering that happens in the world, God does not delight in it. He knows that good things can come in the midst of suffering or through suffering somehow, that healing is possible, redemption is possible, but the thing itself, and that's what gives Jesus the permission to say, I don't want it. It's just the honest truth. None of us want to suffer. Jesus doesn't want us to suffer. Jesus doesn't want his own suffering. God does not want our suffering. But even as we face the hard things, maybe there's a a space for us to receive God's peace. That's what Jesus experiences. Somehow he's able to walk away from this prayer moment and he can have a sense, I can face this terrible Awful thing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can, I just, it just feels, I don't know if you feel the tension of it, you know? You know, a lot of that Christian tradition or all of the Christian tradition, excuse me, emphasizes Jesus' humanity and Jesus' divinity. And this story, it feels like we just get the full tension of that. Jesus walking into the divine knowing, you know, suffering's not good. And yet, good things can come from it somehow. He feels deep agitation and distress, and yet he somehow comes into a sense of peace. This is the model that is held out for us as we face Awful, terrible things. We can come into prayer. We can bring others with us. (laughs) However, comfortable we are, maybe we need a little distance. Maybe they're right there with us. We can be honest with ourselves and tell God the truth. We don't want it. We don't want the hard things we face. That's real. That's all we've got, is the truth. And sometimes our emotions, those raw emotions, they are telling us the truth. And we've got to listen to them. It's wisdom in our bodies. We start there. And we see where it goes. Sometimes I think we can arrive at that place of peace and resolve Sometimes it might take many times of prayer. We don't know, though, unless we try. That's an invitation for us. So i want to take a couple minutes, and we're going to try it. Um, I know we're in a very public setting, obviously, so I don't expect us (laughs) to get into that place. But I wonder if we can just take a little bit of space To name any hard thing we want to name before God. To try to tap in a little bit of that honesty within ourselves. What is it we want to ask God? What is it we want to tell God about those hard things? And let's see where it goes. Loving God. Uh, We'll borrow Jesus' image this morning and just say, Abba. God with us, would you give us that honesty of Jesus this morning and help us to name before you what we want, whatever hard things we're facing, help us and give us courage to pray through that.